Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who knows the real secret to flying. I am the Adam Glass, and throw yourself at the ground and miss? Yes, that is, is that... the correct answer to that question, uh, which is... is why I don't believe she actually could fly. She never she tries that. She not know the secret. She doesn't, she, doesn't, uh, she doesn't know. One can only assume she's lying. Yeah, that's probably her problem. She's just a liar. Yeah, she's a liar. That's, I mean, that's my takeaway from this movie is she is yeah. a dirty liar with her pants on fire. That's why Orson Welles likes her so much. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-Criterion film over there. Uh, and our Probably involving a horse. Movie. <laughs> Sometimes involving a talking horse. 99%. Uh, more than likely. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't done a single talking horse movie God, over there. I think we yet. missed a niche. Niche, like, what if yeah. we started a new podcast that's exclusively a talking horse podcast? I hope that there are not enough talking horse movies. I mean, there's the for entire run of systematically Mr. go through a list. So, I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but that's not a talking horse movie. Oh, that's I a talking horse a television talking, show. I thought it was, was going to be a, in oh, my are, mind, it was going to be a talking horse universe. Because as previously stated, they're all in a shared universe. We're just we're just watching all talking horse all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's just a dollar a month. You can get access to uh, those episodes. You can vote on what we're going to watch. You get all the all the back catalog of episodes. It's really a lot of content for a dollar a month. Honestly, it is. And, it is. You're you're. It's a steal. If you if yeah. you like stealing, I'm getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the biggest the biggest bonus is that you get fe- you get to feel whatever the feelings you feel. Knowing that you've made it possible for Pat and I to continue doing this Sisyphean task. Having a reason to talk to each other on the weekends. Yeah. Which is the uh, original conception of this podcast. It is the original conception of this podcast. Just a an in perpetuity reason for us to talk at least once a week. <laughs> it has, it has and been it's, great. It's worked so far. Yeah, and I'm no notes. Perfect. <clears throat> A little above that $1 mark for folks who want to help Pat and I talk uh, for even longer into the future. It's worth uh, noting five that you're not paying for more talking. I need to make this <laughs> right, very clear right, right. before we get sued. You get in no fact, extra talking for your $5. In fact, before we before we did the Patreon, Pat and I were doing a second podcast every week. So we, so we are back doing less talking. Yes, <laughs> you are paying for less talking. If yeah. you take into account previous history. Actually, actually, no, that's not true. Because at that time, uh, Lost in Criterion episodes were trending closer to an hour. And then we had that's that true. half that's hour. That's true. That's a f- fair point. Other, other podcasts. Yes. Now uh, you are paying. Your, your $1 or no money gets you solidly two and a half hours of content every time. Almost. And sometimes, me, me and Adam significantly less anyway, sleep than we probably so. need. At that $5 mark, uh, 
you help keep us going, and we're very grateful to that. So grateful that we thank those people on air. Thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Andrew Jarrett, and Chris Otto. Uh, thank a little above that 10 Yes. A little above that, $10 and above, we do something I think is pretty dang special. I also think it is pretty dang special, Adam. <laughs> Good. I didn't I didn't mean to own own that individually in that way. Are you we sure? We both can think. Yeah. We both can think. And therefore we both can R. Can can and can R. That ten dollar and above mark, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on postcards and write a little personalized thank you note and send that off once a month to our ten dollar and above supporters, who we also like to thank on air. Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Jason Westaver, Nina Bajnak. Tracy McGrath and Patrick Yako. Yes, thank all of you. Thank, thank you all. I have words. <laughs> Try that again. Yes, thank you all of you. Try, try that again without calling attention to it. I cannot. <laughs> okay. It's that. Cool. It's, it's it's reached that weird point where now words don't yeah. make sense. So it's fine. I I get it. I get it. Uh, if you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark or you want to bypass postcards, uh, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can find most of those past postcards. There have been a few that have been challenged uh, by rights holders through Redbubble, even though they're definitely fair use. And also, I'm kind of behind in uploading them. I've I, noticed I, that I try part. To keep I them, did notice that part. Yeah. Every time I you try to keep them on a chat. little bit of a delay, uh, but but now the, the delay has ballooned. delay, yes. Yeah. Uh, the good news yeah, is, I just keep your eyes open for the for the eventual massive postcard drop, where the, yeah, the number yeah. of available postcards quadruples over overnight. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen today. I don't probably think so. not. Let's, I'm very busy be, today. Let's be honest with ourselves here. This is not happening today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you to everybody who has purchased anything from the Redbubble. Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Thank and you thank for everyone you. who hasn't bought anything on Redbubble. <laughs> yeah, it's an evil thank you company. to anyone. Whether or not whether or not you have purchased anything or given us money in any direct or indirect way, thank you for hearing this message because <laughs> it means God you're listening bless to our us podcast. All. And God bless the United States of America. <laughs> uh, uh, end of podcast. Perfect. We did the best one we've ever done. For the next <laughs> for the next six hours, just an American flag <laughs> and some soft just, music. Just the, just the thing they used to play at the end of broadcast <clears throat> day on a loop. Yeah. Yeah. Just an end American flag and the music. Yep. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Pat, this week we are continuing through the BBS box set. Uh God, America Lost and Found. The BBS How long story. Is this fucking box set. I'm so tired of these. To movies. be to be fair. The box set is seven movies long, which is a pretty long box it set. It is too it's, many for the BBS story. Let's it is, be very clear yeah. here. I'm not It is wrong. the longest box set we've encountered that wasn't like Berlin Alexander plots, which, which is obviously TV much show. longer than this. <laughs> was a TV show, right. Uh, and uh, also significantly better. But no, let's not like uh, get into that. I did enjoy... Berlin Alexander plots quite a bit. Last week marked the halfway point with Drive, <sighs> oh. he said. The other the other problem is we've had a lot of other stuff going on and recording outside of sequence. So Pat and I Pat and I first talk about head about three months ago yeah, at this point. It feels like I, I legitimately <laughs> so much has happened since that. Yeah. So just yeah, it just feels feels much longer to Pat than than it has actually been. But 
Uh, yes, we've made it to a safe place. Uh, Is it a ideologically safe place, not Adam? <laughs> yeah, I don't feel safe. Released in 1971. 1971 is the only year that BBS released two films. Uh, A Safe Place and next week's film, The Last Picture Show, also came out in 1971. I did not realize that those were, that there's another reason why those are appearing on the same TV show. I did not know that. Yeah. I I have not mostly been paying attention when you talk about what movie's next. (laughs) Good. Yeah. So there's a bonus feature on this disc that has uh, uh, Jaglum and... Bogdanovich. Just um, who's the most, most <laughs> annoying interview I've ever watched in my entire life. Just, just so much like intent, like the arrogance. You could like use it as like a tool in your daily life. Like, well, I'm going to use this arrogance to like chop my wood or something. It's insane. <laughs> well, that's, I'm glad to hear that. I watched uh, it in a parking lot of a 7 Eleven today, okay? <laughs> That's even better. That is how I watched. Oh, man. Not the movie, but the but the thing, the, the yes, bonus piece. But the bonus feature. Yes. Oh, that's very good. I watched, <laughs> streamed um, it through Plex from my, on my phone in a parking lot <laughs> while I waited good. for her work. Good. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> a Safe Place and Drive, he said, last week's movie, are actually included on the same disc. Every other movie in the, in the BBS box set I has its own why. dedicated disc. Well, Drive, he said... Uh, had no bonus features whatsoever, as you might recall. Yes. <laughs> Almost none. Just very few, comparatively. Uh, whereas A Safe Place has has a few, including this interview. It has a few. I mean, that, that interview, like, the other thing is, like, screen. I don't, I personally, and this is just a me thing, do not consider screen tests to be, like, viable bonus features. To yeah. me, vo- screen tests are what you do. When, like I don't think you I don't think they're bad to have, okay? Like I don't think they're like they can be interesting to watch and everything like that. But to me they're always the oh shit, we need more bonus features. What do we right. have kicking around? We'll chuck in the screen tests. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And the fact that Drive He Said already didn't have very many bonus features, so a safe place in Drive He Said. Basically, I don't think these movies were widely released. Uh, I, mean, I don't think there was a home film, a home movie version of these at all until the Criterion release. I mean, the, the so, only information I have on that is what Wikipedia points out, which is like box office bomb, like just not, yeah. not liked. So the interview with Jaglum and Bagdanovich is uh, a New York television uh, interview about the New York Film Festival, where both A Safe Place and The Last Picture Show were showing. Uh Interestingly enough, that same year at the New York Film Festival, yes. uh, we talked we talked a little bit last week about the William Reich movie that we watched a while back. W R the Mysteries of the Organism. Oh yeah, that wild. Uh, the really movie. really wild movie by uh, Dusan Mac- <laughs> Uh That movie also played at the and, uh, New York Film Festival that same year. And apparently I, I, more people more people hated a safe place. Yeah, than totally. Hated Here's the thing. Okay. Mysteries of the so the safe place like I mean, just to get into like some of my problems, right? Is like you listen to the interview with the guy Jaglum about the safe place and he he talks about it like he's making a lot of bold and wild film choices. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Mystery of the organism, that's making some fucking wild ass <laughs> film choices, okay, yes, man? Yes, what you're doing absolutely. is just not very good storytelling basically yeah. you're just doing okay. the equivalent of not very good work 
so a little back a little background on a safe place that might contextualize that. I yeah, uh, sure. Jaglum uh had never made a movie before. Yes, he he admits to that on camera. He had made an off-Broadway play before, but that was also this. Oh, of course, uh, of course. Yeah, like I was very suspicious when they were like, "Well, you know, you've been in the you've done theater productions before." I was like, "I'm yeah. suspicious." Yeah, I don't know if he did other theater productions. I know, but, but when he moved, like, I don't when know, he moved to L.A., uh, he he had never made a movie. Uh, he was the editor on Easy Rider. Uh huh. He played the theater professor in last week's Drive. He said, "Yeah." And he went to summer camp with producer Burt Schneider. Like summer camp, summer camp. Uh, <laughs> yes, like apparently. When he was a kid, or <laughs> that is that is my understanding. I love it. Um. I I just like I I I do deeply love how just weirdly incestuous these relationships are have all we, to like make these happen. Have we in the history of the Criterion Collection ever seen a movie that has been described as being edited down from X hours of material, fifty hours in this case, uh, that did hours. not feel that did not feel like it was edited down by that much material? <laughs> like, I mean. Uh, I I will say that in my mind I am capable of conceiving of what like something that hadn't been edited down for that you know what I mean like yeah it's but you're right it is this is this is like my, the 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 thin red line I could feasibly see a universe where the thin red line exists how it exists without miles and miles of extra film right right yeah uh, no that's true because it, it did eventually get in edited into something coherent right like it is yeah more or is, less coherent you are you're right where like it you yeah i mean but like what i mean is like the final product feels like a movie made by people who wrote a movie and wanted to yeah. make a movie this is it's debatable whether this fits that definition. Um, it's got Orson Welles in yeah. it, though, so it's got that going. It does for it. Ha- doing it does have Orson Welles. That shit insane accent. I, <laughs> I just love it. I can't let it go. Like the whole time, that was the it, only thing I could think about. Because it's really we, the only thing we, you can hang your I, hat on. Occasionally doing a yeah, crazy. This is accent. true. This is true. Uh, yes, I like how you described <laughs> it as a Yiddish accent because at least at one point I was dead certain it was French. <laughs> Maybe it was French for a little bit. I think you're right, though. Um, I think it not only is a is a un, inconsistent Yiddish accent. I think it's also an inconsistent French accent and possibly a couple other ones. Yeah, yeah. I would argue uh, every time he showed up on camera, he just picked a different accent. One one nice thing about the Monus features that is a screen and just screen tests is that we see Orson Welles performing the monologue about. The dream he had. They made Orson Welles he do was... a screen test. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, okay. Sure. Well, Jaglum. okay. I will. I will call this one an outtake more than a okay. screen test. All right. Thank you. So I was going to say, it is in. It is grouped together with the screen test, okay. but we'll gotcha. call this one an outtake uh, because it is Orson Welles very obviously having fun and laughing at himself when he can't remember the lines. Uh because he keeps because it's a convoluted story about a dream, right? Right. So it sounds like Orson Welles just made it up, which I think they yeah. kind of said in one of the in that bonus feature. Yeah, so basically. Yeah, uh, 
Jaglum has said that uh, there were. I think I think he said something like two pages of the script exist in the movie. <laughs> that basically everything else is is improvised or written that morning. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So when he describes, sorry, not to de- derail what you were going to say, when he describes yeah. that like it was really nice to work with people who would let me deviate from that script, he meant yeah. entirely in its entirety. Yeah. And and to be fair, we're talking about a time where John Cassavetes is active, and John Cassavetes is doing improvisational work around drama films but that are fantastic. <laughs> yes, he is doing he's a good, good job. At that it. the thing, that right? is that is, is the major difference. It's uh, a pretty important difference when you're making a movie. Yeah. Uh, see, you you read Jaglum in that interview as arrogant. No, I, I read I I, I read Bogdanovich as arrogant. And well, I read, Brent, I read Bogdanovich. <laughs> Bogdanovich is extremely arrogant, and then I read I didn't read him necessarily as arrogant. I read him as like, like up to his like eyebrows in water, and like trying yeah. to be on stage with Bogdanovich, who's like the you know what I mean. Like I didn't read him as necessarily arrogant, but when right. you when you combine together, he's this guy who's like trying to fight for stage space. With the most arrogant person you've ever seen in your entire life, and so the only way he can do that is to like, kind of like, over sort of oversell what he's selling. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And and it comes off it comes off bad for him. Not I, I did not read him the same. I read him as the kind of person who strings together kind of nonsensical uh, pop in this situation, sort of yeah. pop psychology words together, yeah, to like try uh, to make a coherent argument for what his film is about. <laughs> It's funny to me that you describe Bagdanovich as the most arrogant person alive. Uh, not, not just because he died a year ago, but uh, uh, if you've seen any picture of him in the last like two decades, I have not. Uh, do he I need to go he looks he looks like the most arrogant person okay, alive. I'm going to go look <laughs> it up now. He always wears these uh, these like rose tinted sunglasses and an ascot. Oh yeah, uh, okay, yeah. I have some yeah. pictures of him in the in the in recent yeah. years. He looks so uh, different in his in his old age. Than he really he does, does when he's yeah. younger. That like it's I'd never even connected them to be the same person, right? And of course, of course, uh, I've never seen the Last Picture Show. I'm sure it's very good. We'll watch it next week. Uh, I'm sure it's the praise on the Last Picture Show is well deserved. Uh, Bagdanovich now has earned that arrogance. I don't know that he earned that arrogance with just the Last right, Picture right. Show. Right, right. He sort of like history, showed up but... with it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like. I yeah. you know it's I don't know he, anyway he was very annoying to watch is my point and and yeah. honestly yeah, I get that here's my thought on that from a personal perspective I don't care how good your movie is you don't get you don't you, you, <laughs> you it's don't impossible to, to earn what he the way he behaved yeah it's just it so is. so Jaglum is someone who can successfully surround himself with talented people yes uh, I mean he the, does right um, he and is. he does yeah. I mean, just look at this movie. Uh, you know, not even beyond Orson Welles, the people in this movie are talented. Um, Some of them make me very unhappy and angry, but all our our male lead, Fred, is played by Phil Proctor. Uh, do you know how you know who Phil Proctor I, is? I do not know how I know Phil, Phil but I do know who he is. Phil Proctor uh, is one a very prolific voice actor now, uh-huh. uh, but. He is one of the members of Firesign Theater. Okay. 
Yeah, and I'm also nature. looking at all the other things he did voice acting for. Like, of course, I Jesus, just yeah. everything. So, so he gets an introducing credit here, uh, and he's very good in the role. I think. I and think I would. Tuesday Welds very uh, good in the role. I think I would say that, like, yes, I, I, I think, again, I. This is going to become a running theme. Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholsoning it up <laughs> in yes. just a way that annoys me. Like every time uh, I see my again in one of my literally favorite films of all time. And I guess what I'm saying is the only role I like him in is one where I think he's playing the type, which is an insane person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a violent, insane person. A violent, insane. Person. Yes, yes. I, I mean, he's just so annoying in his role in this movie. He just is. Yeah, but the other but two are fantastic. He's, he's also meant to be annoying. I, I understand that. Too, I right. understand that. He's actually yeah. doing. He is doing the right role here. He is not yeah. doing a bad job, yeah. but it. It doesn't change the fact that, and that, and so in the end, it works. But it's just like, oh my right. god, I just hate this person so much. Yeah, yeah. In five, in five easy pieces, it felt like he was playing the wrong. Yes, sort of I role. yes, that was definitely true. In, Here it works. It's just that like the story's yeah. so convoluted and not very good that like he's playing the right role, but it's a bad role. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's um, badly written and conceived. Well, it's I it's just that he he shows up so little in this movie and and plays this very weird antagonistic uh, well, like, who, like he openly he openly tells her that he likes her because he can manipulate her when we right, first meet yes, him. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He's and, he's and a bad I guy. We're supposed to not like him. I I I understand that. And and yes, he. The problem is is that the whole movie is a kind of a shambles around it. And so it's like it just doesn't. It's not really. I it doesn't change the fact that I don't like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But like, so I do understand that he is playing the correct role in a movie that doesn't have. I, it's a mess. I, the right. whole thing's a mess. So this all started as a as an improv stage show, an imp- well, you don't a, say. a stage show built on improv, not necessarily yeah. improvised for performance. Uh, in much the same way that the Casavetes films are built on improv, but not actually improvised for film. Right. Um, you know, they they're improvised to write the script. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. I I mean, I I would yeah. argue that like. I it, it does seem to me that Casavetes has a little bit more of a structured system Cas- in place. Casavetes has consistency. I think Casavetes actually has a system. That's right. A, yes, a yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. Yes. Fair. Right. Yeah. And we did. We did with the Casavetes box set years ago. We did have that entire last film dedicated to talking about Casavetes' system, basically. Right, right. So, so we know he did. But um, he described Jaglum describes uh, the character Noah Susan as a. Uh, a third Tuesday Wells, a third Karen Black, the actress who we've encountered multiple times over the BBS stuff. Yes. And one third of himself sort of melded into character. And some of the anecdotes, some of the some of the things that happened to Susan are things directly drawn from Yagam's life, directly drawn by from Karen Black's life, directly drawn from Tuesday Wells' life as well. Uh, Karen Black originated the role in the play. Okay. Uh, the uh, the other part of the bonus feature screen tests are actual screen tests of Karen Black, I believe Karen Black, and Gwen Wells, the other actress in this movie. Um, 
the uh, basically the only other woman who talks in this movie, right. <laughs> um, playing Barry. Uh, both of them playing the Susan character in these screen tests in versions of the scene where Susan and Fred first meet at the cafe. Right. Uh, though, though here it takes place indoors. Uh, they are saw, shot on the same set. Uh, it does seem to be a set and not like the play. Um, not like they just filmed the play here. Right. Uh, it does seem to be purposely for the film. Um, they are doing. They both play the character much more antagonistically okay. than Tuesday Weld's interpretation of Susan here, uh, or at least what we see. Um, in this meeting, it seems, except for the fact that I, that through the clips we see the same lines being said over and over and over again, um, and it's the same. They're both both working from the same script too. Right. In this instance, uh, the whole thing feels very loose and improvised, what they're saying. Because it's basically, it's basically Susan being actively antagonistic to Fred. Okay. Like, he comes, he introduces himself, they get to talking, he asks if she wants to go see a movie, she's sort of evasive and, and uh, like someone trying to be clever. Uh, but then another friend of hers shows up. Uh, a male friend who she invites over and uh, Fred asks how he's doing and Tuesday reacts as if he said the most offensive thing in the world by asking how her other friend was doing uh, and accuses him of being offensive to this friend. Um, and uh, and then he says, well, what, what did I do? And it is Phil Proctor still as Fred here. Right, okay. Um, and, uh, and, and Susan... Uh, he's like, oh my God, I don't understand what he did. And Susan says, well, that's just it. You said, oh my God, twice now. And, uh, and that's very offensive. And you treated my friend like he's effeminate. He's like, I didn't, I didn't do that. And, and it's just very antagonistic. And uh -huh. then she says, she, <laughs> she, she puts him into this weird catch 22 about going to the movie and asks him who, who he'd rather go to the movie with her or, or her male friend. Uh, and, he's, and and in exasperation, Fred says, well, why don't we all just go to the movie? And then Susan says, oh, you don't want to spend time alone with me. You don't actually like me. And she says, uh, the whole scene plays in such a different way to how Susan is presented in the final film. Right. That is okay. very weird. Um, and again, in neither instance do we see Tuesday Weld playing the character. It's, it's uh, Gwen Wells at first and then, I believe, uh, Karen Black. So um, the, the choice though, to make pick a different actress was also a total change of the character archetype basically like who the character is possibly but also it's given that we confusing. have 50 hours of material right. it's possible that he just had that even it over and over again in like a million different ways yeah, yeah. and I mean, it's possible that possible. that tuesday's tuesday's version of the character also has the same antagonistic interaction and we just see so little in the final product we see so little of that cafe interaction right that's true uh, yes yeah huh. you know that who knows who knows what yeah that's a good point <laughs> i mean there? like and, and yeah. to my mind like honestly speaking like he describes his sort of this sort of really sort of hashed um 
editing style as being like a way to like kind of like um kind of like sort of show her living in multiple times at the same time and and things like that yeah and i get it it's not a bad argument it's not the i mean it does work i mean like technically speaking like what he's saying is an would be an accurate description of what's happening uh that being said what that means is you can essentially avoid having a a scene long enough where you right where you actually have to have like consistency across like the performance right you can just sort of hack together anything like little clips from like your 50 hours of footage to make the movie anything you want it to be right like it it's right. it's a very extreme version of editing that sort of alleviates your need to actually have planned this thing well ahead of time yeah and 50 hours of footage would also suggest that you know i don't think there's like probably probably not are there whole locations cut out in that 50 hours of footage? I mean, there's a whole so character. Probably Bogdanovich claims to have been in the movie. Yes, yes. Bogdanovich does say that now, I mean, he was actually cast in the truth? movie. I cut know. Out. I, it's also eh, possible probably. he also did what they're calling a quote-unquote screen test, where they just probably yeah. essentially filmed the entire set of scenes with <laughs> every single actor they could get their hands on. It's kind of what he it does, feels like. He does say that right in front of Jaglum, who does not push back. So. Right. So presumably it is true that that Bagdanovich was was cast in this movie and and completely cut out. Um, but uh, which which actually makes it weird because uh, we had you know we had this string of BBS movies is uh like an actor from the previous movie directs the next one right is this row of BBS that we're in. Um, but anyway, uh. Yeah, so we do have at least one whole character cut out, but who knows where he was? Maybe he Again, played the friend at the I, cafe. I you know, am it also could have been, willing to yeah. assert that it is possible that he literally paid, played a character that's in the movie, and he right. just shot the whole thing with Bogdanovich, and it was like, I don't like this one. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, we just need to have an open mind that <laughs> quite that's possible. also possible. Quite possible. Yeah. So it's. Jaglum says that it, the movie deals with how we attempt to perceive time and how time destroys us. That's a quote from from the Creative Arts Television interview with him and Bagdanovich. Yes. Uh, in the in the featurette uh, dedicated to him, he talks a little bit more about that. Oh, I forgot uh, to watch that. I meant and to about, watch that and I forgot. That's all right. That's where where he talks about this being inspired by Bergman and Cassavetes, basically, um, and gives a little more background on on the play being started with Karen Black. Uh, he does say he does say in that essentially uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit but but not not much only because I didn't write down the exact quote but uh, he describes Nicholson's character as someone who shows up and fucks the girl and fucks the movie and disappears uh, which I find very interesting because that is that is an accurate that that suggests that everything, Every, all of our complaints about Jack Nicholson or something he sort of did on purpose. Um, yeah, but. and 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 but you know the thing about it is I get where it's going, like where that statement yeah. goes. But the thing about the fucking the movie is like, let's be clear here: I do not like Jack Nicholson. He is not the reason <laughs> yeah. reason this movie is bad. No, 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 no uh, certainly not. Um, no, it's no, a very no. Sh- he it's, says, yeah. I understand. I mean, like he means it in a different way, and I understand that. But it also has yes. the implication that like. 
that like yeah. Jack Nicholson ruined the movie, and I do not like Jack Nicholson, but he did not. Yeah. He's not the reason this movie is bad. Yeah. Um, Variety, uh, according to one of the essays included in the box set, uh, Variety had a write-up of the safe places uh, showing at the New York Film Festival, uh, saying, "quote Most audience, the most audience-dividing feature." It drew walkouts, boos, and fervently defensive partisan applause. Afterwards, during a long onstage panel discussion, most of the audience remained, and again divided on the film and its author-director. Seldom has as much emotion been expended at a preview of a film so many people declared aloud they could not understand. Uh, and again, we're talking about people who probably also saw WR yes, the same day. Exactly. A movie that is... But here's the thing about it is like that movie is real fucking weird, but like it wasn't it wasn't even really technically all that comprehensible. But it also didn't no. like try to tell really anything that really very much approached a, a linear story or anything like that. Like, well, it did. WR is the one that has the the sort of B plot linear story, right? Of yes. the uh, Yugoslavian uh, partisan falling in love with the Russian yes, ice skater. True. Yes, yeah, I, I yes, uh, that is true. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's just that, that you can just feel a difference, right? I'd I'd also right. rather watch like. That movie yeah, again. WR, of, yes, WR is a very interesting movie. It, it's really um, weird, and is, and, and, but that's the thing. It's also yeah. interesting. It's engaging in its weirdness, right? Like yeah. you're engrossed in how fucking fucking weird this movie is. Yeah. Whereas this, this one, is, you're just kind of like a movie. Go ahead. Sorry. Jaglum is actively trying to make a movie about the inner lives of women, which is a thing he he says he he doesn't see in Hollywood film at the time, which but is also true too. Doesn't know about. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um and yeah. Um so the way whatever the script has and whatever Karen Black brings to him her additions to the script, whatever Tuesday Tuesday Well brings to to her additions to the script. This movie is a movie that exists in the editing, right? Right. Um just as much as something like the thin red line. Uh, it's a movie built out of the editing and he's made active decisions in the editing to make this about memory and her mental state in a way that is off-putting. Right. Uh, not... I mean, the thing about it is is that, like, the things he says... Okay, I mean, he does mix it in with, with a bunch of, like, really pretty useless pop psychology... But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the basic true. core thing he's talking about about memory and like you know, kind of getting lost, like stuck in the past and stuff like that, is all valid. Yeah, but like, yeah, he fucks his own movie. Like you can't, you yeah. don't really get that out of this movie. The right. only way you know right. that is him describing that to you in an yeah. interview. And unfortunately, the way, the way we move through time, uh, well. <laughs> Honestly, the way this movie moves through time feels like uh, Twelve Monkeys or Le Jeti. Yes, it does, uh, but also not as good as those either. So, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, because those were actively trying to be time, like time, know, time, time travel yeah, movies, time, right? Air quotes, yeah. time, time travel movies, right? Like, as far as like, yeah, uh, the yeah, the uh, je, je, I can't say right. it, Jeti or whatever. Le Jeti. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting. Yeah. It's a very. So, I really like that movie. It's very weird and an interesting take on yeah. that kind of concept, but. 
Yeah. So it's doing it's doing a similar thing to Legetti in that in that there's no the there's no consistency to the time flow. Right. Uh, and like everything with Orson Welles is years in the past. Uh, it doesn't help that you with... can't tell that that's years in the past. Okay, it's not, it's worth right, noting right. that it's impossible to tell that. Yeah. Um. And there's uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I'm projecting to say it's right. years. Right. I past did not too, know that was years in the past right. until yeah. I watched the thing where he explains that's years in the past. I right, assumed right. she was just yeah. having weird sort of like psych like uh like weird dissociative breaks like where right. she was experiencing multiple times at the same time, but I didn't know that was years ago until I watched the yeah. interview with him. Right. And the way the way we first meet Orson Welles is she's she's in the apartment with Fred and looks and looks out the window, out the window and sees him, right? And or as far him. as we're concerned, right. sees him. The only yeah. reference we have to it is a, a little a younger woman watching Orson Welles, I guess, right? But then that's not her yeah. when he actually when it comes to time to talk to Orson Welles, it's not that right, actress. Right. It's right. Okay. Like that could this could all be very cool like interesting and cool if done by a deft hand that can actually accomplish the goals that are desired, right? Having all these weird time breaks and having it be confusing about who's who and like you know, her younger self sees him, but her older self talks to him because she's stuck in the past. These yeah. all make sense. I understand the ideas, but they're yeah. executed so, with such lack of like skill that I didn't understand them when I watched the movie. Yeah, so much of the BBS stuff we've seen so far have been a bunch of friends getting high. And saying, "Hey, let's make a movie," basically, right? And and to the expected uh, results of that, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's really brilliant, and sometimes it's not. And and, it's and I not. think that like that uh, that plan only works a couple times before you just start right. to pump it up crap. Yeah. Um. So. So with this one, Jaglum's connection to that world already seems pretty tenuous, right? Yeah. If if his only way in is that he went to, uh, well, that's not his only way in though, right? Because no, he, he went knows to Bogdanovich, he, he, he goes to Bog- Dick Campbell Schneider. He yeah, he knows Bogdanovich. He knows Karen Black. He's worked with Karen Black in the past, uh, and she's she's heavily involved with this whole group from the start. He's in one of the uh, movies, the previous movie with Jack Nichols. Right, he's in the yeah. previous movie. Uh, presumably, it is not Bagnanovich who brings Orson Welles into this circle. Somehow, well, no, somehow these people know each other. Is it Bagnanovich who brings him interview. directly in? How he got no, Bagnanovich is that like, um, yeah, like he's an old friend of Bagnanovich. Somehow, yeah. Bagnanovich, yeah. a like thirty-year-old man, Wells, is old friends with Orson. I don't know. It doesn't. Well, it all sounds Wells very. And, mm. They're not even that old of friends. Welles and Bagnanovich met on the set of Mike Nichols catch catch 22. Right. And and Bogdanovich uh, is 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 arrogant enough to to declare them old friends. Yeah. Right. Which was yeah. Like they've known each other for a year, maybe. Right. Exactly. Um, it's like, it's you know, classic. Yeah. But uh but still. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how long Catch 22 was filming for, but it, but it came it out the year before this. It certainly wasn't 10 years. So. Right, right, right. So, okay. So Orson Welles comes 
comes in through the Bagdanovich connection. Bagdanovich and Jaglin probably know each other just through, not not through BBS necessarily, but through New York theater work. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that would make sense to me. So, but he's just sort of this guy and maybe indicative of, of how Jaglum comes into all of this is that the apartment we visit as Fred's parents' apartment is Jaglum's parents' apartment. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, that does seem pretty par for the course for BBS type productions yeah. in general, true. right? It's like where, where, where you know they're not they're kind of operating on a on a semi gonzo sort of level of just like well we'll ask for permission later or you know beg for well no or, I I don't I don't mean that I mean look at that apartment Jaglum comes from money. Oh yeah, okay, yes, yeah, okay. That that that's not yeah. I did not get that meaning from you, but yes, you're also right. Yeah. But also, so does everybody else involved in BBS. But yes. Which is also true. Yes. Um, yeah. These the are actual not the producers salt of the earth types here, okay? The the actual producers are also not exactly salt of earth types, but also just made a, a ton of money from the monkeys. So so there's right, that right, right. aspect. But, but like we we we've gone through this like a, a half million times at this point. Like yes, there are people who get in these movies who like are not rich to start, but like it's pretty rare, right? Frankly, uh, you pretty much have to be a, of of means to get to break into this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I t- I guess ultimately what it what falls apart with a safe place for me is that it really just does feel like a pale imitation of Casabetis. It does. Uh, I mean, it it, yeah. it it kind of feels worse than that though. I, I I not to like slag on the film too hard, but like it doesn't yeah. even feel as good as the thing you just described. Well, you know, you know why? Because because what this tries to do that Casabetis does super well is be an actor-driven production. Right. Like a like a really great improvised stage play. Uh this is this is actor-driven. But it loses that actor di- actor-drivenness in the editing by being right, so Right, yeah, he killed it. Because he killed the movie it himself. Yeah. We we the don't movie know itself, that 50 feet of yeah. or that 50 hours of film there might be some yeah. really legitimately good actor-driven content. Uh, And this might even be the best of the actor-driven content. It's possible because the thing about Cassavetes, and we we talked about this before with our with when we actually were talking about Cassavetes, is that the system is important. Actor-driven is great, but like, and of course, actor-driven without a lot without a decent amount of guidance gives you Orson Welles changing his accent in every scene. (laughs) Right, right, and of. Of course, even with Cassavetes, with with uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, we had two different versions of that film, two, right. two different cuts. So, so you know, Cassavetes is that's operating is within limits, right? That's that's as well. You're, but you're, but you, you start with an idea, yeah. yeah. You end up with like, oh man, I've got two different ways this could work out. I don't know which one to do. I'm I'm yeah. messing around with it. That is a different thing than I have 50 hours of footage and I'm just <laughs> right. chopping it together. I'm making some sort yeah. of weird film hash out of it. That right. like I will then right. like and, present as a coherent film or or argue as a coherent film, right? And a guy who's who's apparently only film editing experience was Easy Rider. Now now Easy Rider's also if he actually was the sole editor on Easy Rider, Easy Rider's phenomenally edited. Yeah, like I, it's very good. Yeah, but I I, uh, I imagine I imagine that a director a different director has a has a hand in that right like. 
Yeah, I we have encountered yes, directors also, who just hand over their editing to the director or to their editor. Right, but it doesn't seem to be that. Does and not seem to. Dennis be the Hopper norm. definitely did not do that for yes, Easy. Dennis Rider. Hopper <laughs> like, sounds like a fucking maniac. So you yes. know. Yes, uh, right. The fact that this man survived the editing process with Dennis Hopper <laughs> right, is perhaps right. a, a credit a testament to, him to his, his strength of will, will and character. <laughs> yes, but, yeah. yes. Um, okay, so uh, so Yagel actually says three scenes from the script remain intact in the movie. Uh, I, but other than that, everything was like, was improvised or thought up of or like right your there. product, no. right? Like. That's a bad sign that, like, I understand yeah. it's actor-driven, but, like, the core, the kernel of that thing should still be there. Yeah. Um, unsurprisingly, Gwen Wells' monologues are improvised of her uh-huh. just talking. Uh, I mean, you can tell that's what's going on yes, yeah. in, in what it is. The fact that he leaves them largely uncut, um, or at least audibly uncut while we intercut with back to Orson Welles doing magic tricks basically (laughs) most of that uh yeah um and you know and that's that's a part where sort of the active driven actor drivenness survives through the editing process well Uh, and and it's worth noting that of of our characters when she's doing that you get the strongest sense of who her character is yeah like yeah. way stronger I mean, than you that's... get of almost any other point in the movie of any other character, including her in other yeah. times, right? Yeah. Well, the the problem with that one is that that she's just so in the movie that that character's in the movie so little, right? Right. That that she shows up, she gives these big long monologues, and we just don't see her much that's beyond true. that. So so it's the only chance we have to understand that's, who she that's is. Fair. And she, that's a yeah, fair she, argument. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, she like, does. you know, yes. Yeah, she does well. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. The, uh, it took me a second, and and I did have to rewatch it to figure this out. But uh, I thought in that first apartment scene that the voice we're hearing talking about World War II uh-huh. was just off, like, the TV or something. It but it is, it is Phil Proctor talking. It is Fred talking. But is it supposed presumably. to be the TV? I assumed it was the TV as well. I don't. I assumed it was the TV just because of the way it was. Uh, it sounded like edited ADR'd over and be, stuff. I don't. Yeah, the way the audio was edited into that scene. Um, I but I assumed it was it was him trying to be very clever or something and have like the voice on the radio nah. be the same as the voice of. Nah, no. I think okay. I think because of the way basically everything works out with how she hears Fred. At least in the first half of the movie, like particularly through the the scene, the first time we see them meeting at the cafe, uh-huh. uh huh. <clears throat> we frequently hear hear him saying something without seeing him say something. True, right? His voice is disconnected from his body, and that's you know. So so I read that as just that droning on about World War II is all she hears from him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. I, I agree. <laughs> he's that a very sense. boring I guy. Just... I just not uh, yeah. I didn't read it that way, but I think you're yeah. probably right. And again, again, I think I only read it that way because I ended up having to. Yeah, I I watched that portion of the movie and then got a phone call, so I basically had to start the movie over the right, next day. Okay. So so I I watched that bit twice. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I do not envy you. Um, yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't. I mean, that was, <laughs> was I, yeah. I I don't know. I yeah. I mean. 
I, I did in general, in, in the grand scheme of things, found the movie not just sort of hard to understand, but also pretty boring. Like, legitimately, like, yeah. act, I, I, I have accused other movies of being boring. And I, and I, is a thing I will do from time to time. But usually, yeah, I, this one was very, very boring. Like, <laughs> I, I, Rumi accused this movie of being three hours long. <laughs> she came home halfway feels, through the movie. It really does feel like it. Too. Yeah, she came home like halfway through the movie. Okay, she was out, and she came home halfway through the movie, and and was like, "How long has this movie been on?" Like, because it just felt like it never ended. And like, I know that may not be fair to movie to a movie, but like, yeah, it doesn't bring you along. It's it's not dra- It's not bringing you through that time in a way that is yeah. satisfying, and so. In the grand scheme of things, you're like, this feels interminable. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times, no, I'm sorry, Time Magazine called this movie pretentious and confusing in their re- re- review of it. Uh, and I think. I don't think it's pretentious. I mean, I, do think it is, I don't think it's pretentious. pretentious because it's confusing, yeah. but it's confusing. It's not pretend, yeah. It's not doing that on purpose. It's not trying to like. Exactly. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. This is a movie that feels only feels pretentious because it's confusing. Right. Because you're trying to you're trying to make sense of the confusion, so you you uh, project onto Jaglum that he's being pretentious about this, these right. ideas, and he does have big ideas that aren't quite working out. But I think he's just out of his depth. Yeah, he so is. He he yeah. he jumped into directing films and wanted to do his like masterpiece, I guess with the first one and didn't know what he was doing. And then like, and then just yeah. basically dealt with that by shooting a, a basically un, unlimited amount of footage. Right. Yeah. And, and and then tried to assemble right. the thing late. I, I don't know. It just doesn't work. That, that never, that basically never works. Yeah. Um, Susan as a woman who, the, th- the thing with it being about Susan's, internal life mm-hmm. is that that doesn't super work for me either because yeah. Susan as a woman is someone who is, uh, you know, she's obsessed with this childhood because, uh, because of nostalgia for childhood. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she's nostalgic for this time of the past, for the phone numbers of the past, for the weird little foreign music of the past. Like all the, all the songs we hear, like, you know, very few of them are in English, and they're all from twenty years prior, right? Right. Uh, so it's it's just she's obsessed with the past as a way of escaping the present, but at the same time, I don't feel like we get her engaging or in, anyone really engaging with the present enough to establish why right we do not actually understand why she wants past. to escape the present like yeah. we do not know that we yeah. cannot possibly know that from the movie yeah it's just never she's got we don't a couple learn of, enough about her on a on a personal right. level to even sort of establish that kind of information yeah. yeah beyond beyond this nostalgia for the past we don't uh and that's yeah that's a failure of the movie to me um yeah i I don't like describing a movie as confusing and I don't necessarily agree with people who describe this movie as confusing uh, because I, I understand what Jaglum's trying to do but in the I way because would, I've seen Legetti. Right, uh, but I I've would argue that movies like, that have done I this agree, better. And I've seen those movies too. 
And and while the moment he described it, I got it. I don't yeah. know. I and then in this is an impossible it, no. thing to know, right? Because like you, you, we are, where it's very hard to know what you were thinking when, like, what's contemporaneous with watching the movie and what came into being right. even moments later. It's very hard to know. But my thought is, is like, if I'm being really brutally honest with myself at the time, I kind of got shades of like we're flitting around like a world that doesn't necessarily follow linear order but i could not tell yeah. you that we were tired that we were like stuck in the past quote unquote because yeah. i just don't think yeah. the movie's revealing uh, of that i don't think it has the chops yeah. for you to possibly Look, know that if we understand that orson wells is a character from her past it makes uh, a little yes. more sense like the movie just it makes a little more better. sense but the thing is is that but, like but be, he dropped the ball on that we don't know that yeah Beyond that, the closest we get to uh, to that is her talking about the phone numbers. And that that can, if we read subtext into that, we could extrapolate that this is a complaint about modernization, a complaint about everyone being uh, compartmentalized and numberized. And, I mean, and, and I you're did assigned this that number that as, that, opposed that to, as opposed to this, yeah, as opposed to this thing that used to have a physicality to it because it was tied to a location. Uh, I mean, it's a non. It's a sort of like goofy non. It, it sounds silly coming yeah. from her. Like right. I mean, that, right. that that sounds dismissive. But like, you've got like yeah, a, a like a relatively young woman complaining about a thing that like a giving out boomer complaints, basically. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. She's yeah. like, she's yeah. complaining about a thing that like, it's just not a thing that somebody in in that age bracket is supposed to be complaining about. Right, right, right. It doesn't feel yeah. natural. Um. Yeah, but then on that same turn, so much of what comes out of Fred's mouth when he's idly talking is around World War II history, which is also right. 20, he's he's 30 anachronistic as well. Like Fred is, yeah. But like Fred is makes more sense in the sense that like, oh, we just picked something for a boring man to talk about. Yeah, boring dudes, and have of course the boring man is going to talk time. about World War II. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah. What's the thing that a boring boring dudes have been about? talking about World War II? So, yeah, boring yeah. dudes have been talking since about World War II. Since 1946, people have been talking. Before yeah. World War II happened. Somehow. Right, probably. Yeah. It's a weird uh, yeah. cosmological constant. <laughs> Grandpas have been watching the History the Big Channel Bang. before the History Channel existed. Yeah. And right. boring dudes the have Big been talking Bang about happened, World War II. And then... <laughs> the World War II, yeah. World War II boring dudes and Grandpas <laughs> watching History Channel all came into existence simultaneously. Right, right. Fundamental yeah. physical particles yeah. of the universe. And uh, you know, when we first introduced, he's talking about it in like an ideological way about something, something, something when when people knew the truth, fascism would be uncovered or something. And then everyone would have to react, uh, which is also uh, he's also I mean, stupid. Given, Fred is also dumb. Yes. He's a boring. Yes. Dude and I think he is stupid. meant to be dumb in saying that. Yeah. He's also so, meant yeah. to be dumb in saying that. But also it's basically the politics of most of the other BBS movies we've seen. Right. So yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> but, yes. And, and so like, maybe he's meant to be dumb in saying that. Maybe they're just like hunting for like what sort of thing. I, my impression of Fred is like essentially what can we have a boring dude say? Like, right. It's a boring dude thought who about would still feasibly. Says, but like just yeah. what can we have a boring dude say? Right. A boring dude who would still feasibly be involved with these people, right? Who who could still 
who could still make sense sitting shirtless on this bed full of other <laughs> half-dressed people. Right, exactly. Uh, high out of their minds. Well, especially since um, Fred's supposed to, I think, have that the, the vibe of the kind of person that you'll meet right. who's sort of cha- chasing after these kind of a little bit more aloof people as sort of a... yeah. He doesn't really fit in, but he can like get along in this group long enough, and then eventually right. he washes out of it because he can't actually. Right. He's not handle living with. He's not a like normie this. necessarily, but he's, he's not, not a normie all necessarily. But he's still over. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, like in that sense, he makes sense as a character, and I don't have any real problem with him. Uh, it's just yeah. again, he's in a movie that just is very, very what? Like what? Uh, like right. Yeah, and, it's and not really you know, that makes him that makes him relatively flat, but still, I mean, they're certainly flat. He's supposed to be flat, movie, right? though. I, I would, I would but, argue yeah. that he is right. He is playing right. the intended character. Uh, I think they all are. Yeah, they're just they're just the, they're just all in yeah. a movie they shouldn't be yeah. in. Yeah, Nicholson's character is meant to be exactly who he is. This sort of. Uh, He's actively using Susan. He ad- freely admits to actively using Susan to her face. Right. And because because he represents this hope of escape of the mundanity she finds uh, herself in. A hope in. of escape from, again, <sighs> worth noting, we don't know what. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's and a pretty key problem. If, we don't know why she's chasing if, after this sort of dream of escape. And I don't yeah. think... If, that our our director Jaglum knows either, because even in the interview yeah. he did, he never names it. He yeah. sort of dodges around nothing. it. I, I think, I think one of the heart problems of this movie is there's just nothing in this movie to explain why Susan and Fred would ever get together to begin with. Like, right. Like, what does she see enough in him to uh, have a second date? Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a reasonable complaint. And again, if you combine yeah. that with the fact that we don't know why she's trying to use, I forgot Jack Nicholson's character's name. Uh, yeah, to escape. escape. What well, she's trying to escape. It's all nebulous. It's all like, well, things are happening, but we yeah. don't know why they're happening. And I think that's probably, when you really get down to why people found it confusing, that's probably it. Like, when yeah. you really get down to brass tacks, it's like, we don't know why any of and the I characters guess... are doing any of the things they're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's... In one part, that is ennui in its most yeah. But we've watched a lot of fucking ennui movies, man. And I can always intuit what the characters want. Right. Yeah. The characters are Um, listless, but we understand that their day to day life sucks. That it that that it it, it engenders ennui. We can't get that from her life because we don't see her life. We don't see her day to day life. Right. We don't see her do any. We don't see her go to the shop or like. Do anything yeah. boring. We see her mostly try to like, yeah. We see mostly her response to it yeah. instead. That's um, yeah. that's one thing those screen tests uh, bring out that we don't get from the final cut of the movie is one her being antagonistic in that establishes a more roundness to her character. Right. Uh, it plays completely at odds with the character that we're presented with. Right, which but would make if her we're presented as the same character, I think, probably in the end. Yeah. But. I think that's true. Uh, but two, uh, in it, Fred asks her what she does for a living, and she says he's a, and she's a secretary. Uh, and he 
he's surprised by that and says, "Oh, I thought you were like, I thought you would be like a dancer or something." Uh, it, almost in this, I thought you were a sex worker sort of right, thing. right. Uh, but that actually a scene like that would have helped a lot. Like it, some stuff yeah. like that would have helped quite a bit. Yeah, just to establish establish what she's trying to escape. Right. Like, establish that now, she doesn't of course, we like are, it. I mean, yeah. We're in 1971. She's a relatively young person. The audience, the intended audience of this film might be able to see, well, she wants to escape this the same thing I want to escape, which but is just society right now. it turns right out, they don't, yeah. because I don't think that idea ever works. I think... You <laughs> right, need right. you you have a sort of obligation to establish why like a baseline well, for the ennui, right? Like you have to like you have to put them in a world. You have to have a world around them. The problem is is that she doesn't exist in a world. She exists in not in nothing, kind of a void floating around, right? right? And and without coming into contact with the world, we don't yeah. establish this, any ground rules this, of like why she would be unhappy. Yeah. She exists in this void of memory. And and to that extent, you know, this is a, without anyone saying that this is what they meant to do, this is maybe a fascinating exploration of uh, what real clinical depression feels like to a person. Right, yes, uh, that's definitely, that would work. I, I would, you know, we yeah. run into the same problem that the clinical depression never comes into contact with the world. And so, right, right, right. We, like, you know, part of that comes from the idea that it comes into conflict with the world around you. you the person comes into yeah. conflict with the, like what's expected of them by the world around them. Nothing's expected yeah. of her. She exists right. in a void. And then she but, comes into conflict with Fred at the end. But that's not even real conflict. Yeah. It just sort of that. That feeling of disconnection and disconnectedness that she verbalizes and that Wells helps us see in her. Like when he asks her, "Where are all your friends, Susan?" Um, and that she, you know, she actively, she herself uh, compartmentalizes that into a thing about phone numbers, but it is an admission of disconnectedness from the people around her. Right. Uh, I think you know that that is the sort of, despite being surrounded by people who who like you, who you would who who would call themselves your friend still feeling disconnected is very much a uh, a depression thing. Right. And I, I, I understand that. But like my 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 I get what you're saying, but my problem is, is that like we have no perspective point, right? Like we are we're not right. really seeing the world through Susan's eyes. We don't really understand the world as she understands it. And we don't see it through the world the her through the eyes of others, which would also let us have a frame of reference. So So as a like uh, really high-minded conceptual piece, it could work, but then the knowing, movie would have to be different. Knowing what I know biographically about uh, Tuesday Weld, which is basically her her father died or left them early on. Uh, she was raised by a single mother who uh, basically put Weld into the very common child actor position of being the breadwinner for the family. Right, yeah. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Weld has some uh, unresolved psychological trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all I know about Karen Black is what we've seen from Karen Black in the role she's portrayed and the interviews we've had on the other BBS stuff. Uh, Jaglum definitely has ennui. Yeah. <laughs> very, very classic middle class ennui. 
so maybe what we're doing is we're we're dealing with a a movie made from a play made by a bunch of people with undiagnosed depression who don't know that they're making a movie about depression. Well, um, here's the thing. I think that Jagom does know he's making a movie about depression and he's just bad at it. He's, because he's the just interview bad at it. really And he doesn't want to like come he, out and say that? Yeah, yeah. He in the movie in the interview he's describing with in all in all but saying that it's a movie about depression. Yeah. Like yeah. you can tell uh, that he knows or at least I feel you can tell you can he knows. Right. But the problem is least, is that like he wasn't actually successful in making a movie about depression because we as the audience have no frame of references. Like right. at except least, for our at own least, personal understanding of what that means, but even then we need to know to apply it and when to apply it. Right. Right. With Antichrist, at least Von Trier knew what he was doing and, I mean, and would, Jesus Christ did he was know open what he was about doing. what he was doing. <laughs> yes. Like yes. very successful at at the goal. Yeah. Uh, and there yeah. you see, like, there's yeah. a, we've seen plenty of movies about ennui and depression. The f- and and yeah. I get annoyed with them sometimes, and I have complained about them on a more, like, I'm tired of watching movies about ennui and depression yeah. from, from middle, cra- middle class, like... <laughs> middle class, yeah. yeah. Middle class, like, ennui and depression is maybe the most depressing subject you could ever put on film. Right. Uh, and not because it, of their depression, but because of what it does to me um, mentally. Right. But... They, we've seen enough to know like how that's done. I, I don't know that I could do it. I'm not trying to claim that I could do it, but we know like we're we're we've crossed into the boundary into like the I know it when it's good and I know when it's bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is not a good version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about it's weird because I think Tuesday Weld is very well cast in this and yeah. she's very good in this, but also. I could imagine Tuesday Weld's day-to-day life being very much like Noah's. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also, Susan Susan is Tuesday Weld's birth name. Okay. Uh, her actual birth name. Uh, so, like, this, this Tuesday Weld being someone who would long for a childhood that she was not able to actually have because of how she was raised. Uh would make sense. Right. So if this movie were like 100% autobiographical to It would probably to, to, to be amazing, well. frankly. But like <laughs> right? yeah. but the editing destroys that, right? We can't lock on right. to that. We don't get a chance to like we don't learn about her life at all. And so we're sort of yeah. divorced from the subject matter, right? Like she I I imagine an autobiographical a truly autobiographical movie about her would be very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because and that's true of basically any child actor star, generally speaking. That that's such a hellish nightmare right. scape that like is going to inherently produce like both depressing and interesting stories. Um, sadly, as <laughs> sad as that is, uh, I think it's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean on top of it, uh, I. I framed it as that child actor thing, but you know she started acting fairly early. But it was modeling that her mother forced her That's, into. That's which describes something worse, with, not better. Um, yeah, right. And then, and then you combine <laughs> yeah. that with the loss of a parent. Like, there's just so much. It, it, her, her autobiography would be an incredibly depressing thing to watch, but it would probably be yeah. because it is grounded in a reality, and we can understand the context of it. It would 
make it would make sense, right? It would be an interesting story to tell. This is we don't know anything about this character. Like we just don't. They're just right. Confu- they're just out there. They just exist. Let's see. Her first. Oh well, she did start acting young too. Her first film role. She was thirteen. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would. That that's uh, almost worse than like child 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 actor. Yeah, you know, someone like Bridget Bardot. I know enough about their career to know that they they owned being exploited. Right. Uh, I I unfortunately don't know enough about Tuesday Tuesday Weld's career to say whether or not whether or not maybe she eventually came to terms with it and owned it in a way, but. But I don't know if we're still in that point. Right, Not that she feels that, like she's being exploited here. I don't think. I don't think she's being exploited in this film. No, I don't all. think so either. Uh, but, but it's very obvious that that previously she was. Right, uh, and then so. that's going to have an impact on like sort of the yeah psychologically like a psychological yeah. impact and a lot of other yeah. things like that. So, and, right. Yeah. So this idea of of Weld herself trying to find a safe place. Um, you know, we can't we can't take all that extra extra textual stuff from Weld's wife life and apply it into this movie, even if it is a movie partially based on her own life and also heavily improvised. So, so much of her real person is coming into this movie. Um, this is perhaps the one film where she is most free to be who she really is and to bring all of her baggage and all of her real life stuff to the character. Uh, and, you know, good honor for for being able to do that um in that regard it sort of reminds me of that scene in easy rider where uh 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 fonda is crying about his mother's death in the cemetery uh where right where although Hopper one would was hope just like no like, you have to do this right one would hope <laughs> yeah. that this is from coming from a better place than that one because coming from a, yeah coming from a more uh a more collaboratory end right. at least um, yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, it. Yaglum's. I keep. I, I keep like how you've just decided he has to, a a y, yeah, a, y, a y J yeah. instead of just yeah. What clearly it's pronounced Jaglum. Maybe it should be a Z J Zaglum. I like That's that one. That one's pretty now, good. Um, yeah, Jaglum. Jaglum says he wanted to make a movie about the internal lives of women uh, and then and then produced this all in a way where uh, where the the female stars, uh, both Karen Black in the stage play and Tuesday Weld here, have a lot of input into into how that comes together. Um, I think he's on the level. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't, for instance, remind me of uh, Robert Altman's Three Women, uh, which uh, was dreamy in different ways, but just as dreamy as this movie, uh, and did not work for me right. at all, really, uh, as I recall. Um, it's been a very long time since yes, I, we watched I, that movie. I think but, you're right, but yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, ultimately, I think he's he's trying a lot of things and we can see his influences uh, or even the zeitgeist that he's a part of, right. if not direct influences. Uh, and he's trying a lot of things that he's just not good at doing. Well, and I and I really think we come back to, a, like, a if you're going to be the kind of person who operates without, like, nailed down plans, right, where you're going to, like, operate, yeah. like, allow the actors to sort of 
explore and do all that stuff, you have to also be the kind of person who like knows how to do that and 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 knows right. how to keep it under control and how to like also like come in with a plan that you can like make happen through that process. Yeah. And like I do he's think just very one inexperienced. Thing... He just doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. I do think one thing that this movie does very well is shows how men interact with women like Susan. Yes, I, I think, would agree with that. I think Yeah. I think that's I think Fred Fred as a doll guy who just thinks he, she's ditzy. Right. But also thinks she's pretty. Uh, and, and treats her exactly like that, right? Like it, it, it right. acts that way constantly throughout the movie, yeah. right? And and Mitch, who as someone who recognizes all of her instabilities, decides to exploit and that. recognizes yeah. that as an opportun- opportunity to exploit them. Uh, yeah, Both. I I agree completely. And and yeah, a better movie would emphasize those things better. Yeah, but the problem, and, but this one doesn't. It's not as well conveyed right. as it could be. I will say, and and the magician as a uh, sort of father figure to her, but also also maybe oh also weird creepy, right? Guy. Like, like that's the yeah. thing, right? Isn't I think <laughs> right. Orson Welles is very successful in being like a weird, a big old weirdo creep yeah. in this movie. Like, even yeah. if he has only the best intentions, he comes off creepy, which right. is like a weird old man thing to do around like young, confu- like confused yeah. young women. Right. Like it's, yeah, it checks out. The, the guy in an old suit doing magic in central park. Right. Is probably going to be a weird guy. Yeah, <laughs> so. that, that's true. I would, I would say to that extent, like, you know, definitely, um, Orson Welles is playing exactly the right character here. Um, right. It, it's just that like, we come down to like the sorts of men that, that, she would meet and and yeah i I just i yeah but it's also supposed to be about her internal life and that's kind of a whole nother problem is that like it's also just about the men she meets i don't right we don't actually get to learn about her internal life that much we learn much more about the sorts of men she encounters which is not really about her it's about the men she encounters yeah the editing of this film does successfully make it about the way Susan herself interacts with time. Right. Or Noah, depending on what, what part of time we're talking about. But the way Noah, Noah Susan talks about time, interacts with time, and the way, the way she's encountering the world and thinking about the past and the present in a very even Bergman-esque way. Right. The character but, itself. Right. I yeah. agree. Again, but if one, only if one applies, like, non-existent, not like, like, right. pa- like post-knowledge to present, yeah. Do you get that? And like, I think it's, it becomes successful at that, which none of the audience in the in the film festival right. would have had, including and I also, yours truly. Yeah, I also think that Jaglum's explaining that in the in the interview uh, is post hoc. I think I, I, think I, so I don't think I don't think that was an intention of the film of the play. I think it is an intention that he after he came built, to I, I bet he knew by the time he smashed it together I, in editing, right. he figured yeah. out what the movie yeah. was about. Right. He wanted that to be a that is a decision made during editing. Right. Though. Not not something he intended from the beginning. I don't think. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, certainly, the way I can see the screen tests and and the way things were filmed were in much 
we're in a way where a linear story could have come out of this as well. Uh, so the fact that it is a nonlinear story, and of course you have to start with a linear story in order to create a nonlinear story <laughs> in editing. Uh, right. I to, mean, have I, I, I have do your feel bases like that, covered. That does but, kind of feel like part of the problem, honestly speaking, is that yeah. I don't think he had a fully constructed linear story that he then turned into right. a nonlinear story. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a common problem with nonlinear stories that I, I, I disagree. I don't think that's necessarily the problem here. I think that was, <laughs> yeah, we go back to the thin red line again. I think that was the problem in the thin red line was that uh, at some point during production of the thin red line, uh, Malik just realized that he did not want to make the movie he was making. That's true, but I, so, that's almost different, right? Yeah. Like that's a whole other angle. It is different. That's that's the oh yeah. shit! I don't like this. I don't want to yeah. be making. This. Why did, is a, is why did I animal. want to make a war movie? Like yeah, yeah. what did I? What was I thinking? Um, right? Like yeah. we've all done that right. where we started so that a project is, that and is, been like, yeah. oh, why am I doing this? So that is very different, but but that's that's where he starts to introduce these ideas of memory and and thinking right. about. You know, I, the spiritual and somehow, aspect Thin Red Line. Like, let's be so. very clear here. Thin Red Line is more successful than this movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair too. And and that's um, what leads me to believe that at least in some level, Jacqueline just didn't quite know what he wanted when he walked through the door. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's even possible. even if he thought he knew what he wanted, he, okay. Correction. Even if he had he, he had been, done this play seven years happen. before. Yes. Yeah, he didn't know how to make it happen on film. Yeah, right. I think that's and, and and as a result, we have a sort of shambling mess. Yeah, and I think, I think all of these ideas as a stage play would would necessarily play out very differently to the film version of this that we have that has multiple locations, uh, and multiple sets, and and we're all over New York well, City. Well, and especially this. if you're gonna have if 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 the stage play actually had time jumping in. Well, yeah. th- to make that work on film, you are d- on stage. You definitely have to hang out like a fucking lampshade on it because it will not make right, sense. Right. And so, presumably, yeah. if that's a part of the stage play, it's way more obvious. Yeah, yeah. So, who knows? Um, we've not watched the stage play, and I don't maybe, know that we ever maybe could, the stage play so, is even uh, more baffling. Yeah, maybe. Uh, speaking of baffling, though, let's move on to the ending of this movie, if you would like. Um, uh, I am bothered uh-huh. by how much commentary on this movie thinks she drowned herself in the tub. Because oh, even weird. if I read the Is ending of this movie as think? suicidal, yeah, yeah, including the essay. Uh, even I if I were to read this movie, the ending of this movie is suicidal, which is there. You, uh, could, you can do it. I think I she jumps off the building. Yeah. If anything, she jumped off the building. Like right. she got out of the tub, she went outside, she jumped off the building. Because <laughs> Fred Fred walks out and can't find her and then looks up in the air, uh, suggesting a hopeful ending to this movie that she did actually fly away. Uh but there is there is one quick little thing where uh where uh Fred is outside and we see it. But uh there's a bit where when she says, I don't believe you, you're lying now. And she delivers that to the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then without a cut, she drops out of frame and Fred is in the background looking for her. 
as if as if they are sharing the same space, but he can no longer see her. Which, ideologically to the film, her turning invisible makes sense too, right? Right. Because he can he's never truly seen her, right? Uh, but uh, but then looking for her as if she flew away. It's not. It's a nice ending of red too. Like, but, uh, uh yeah, I would, uh, yes, yeah. I, I just, it, like a lot of things, like it would be nicer if I, it was just a little bit more like yeah. clear, like I, and a movie doesn't have to be clear, but like, I have to be able to like, there's a yeah. limit to how all far of, I can be asked to like play interpreter for the film. Right. Right. All of our BBS films so far have ended in tragedy with the right. possible exception of head. Uh, if only because. The death of the monkeys was an escape for the monkeys. If, right, it's the sweet release of death. For them, it's a really yes, end yeah. of yeah, yeah. Uh, the death of the monkeys is not the death of the people playing the monkeys. So, uh, but um, you know, we've got we got Easy Rider. Obviously, ends in death. Uh, five easy pieces uh, was originally scripted to end in death, but instead ends with him leaving uh, his girlfriend at. The gas station and just disappeared. Right, into... the non the non canonical ending, yeah. as I call it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't know that uh, the non canon ending can be the one that was actually put into uh, the I, film. But I sure. say it can be. Uh, <laughs> Pat's head canon is very strong. I am very um, good at it. Uh, I've been told this by people. Yeah, Drive. He said, is a movie that is ratcheting up to tragedy through its entire run anyway. Uh, And, and we talked extensively about how it should have ended in much, much more violently than it actually did probably. Right. So, uh, uh, and then this one is, is the sort of ambiguity. And there's an ambiguity in this ending. Again, I don't understand anyone who thinks she drowned herself in the, in the the, drowning doesn't make sense to me at all. Like, like straight up just doesn't make sense, but I can buy the other ones, but like, I think at that point we get so far into the realm of like, well, this is what I want to think about this movie. Right. Uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, you know, when we get into a certain amount of like death of the author, we're like, well, like yeah. when you get into pat headcanon levels of head of, of thought about the right. movie, at this point you're just playing a sort of game with yourself and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, we don't, we don't really have any way. Like maybe like I'm I'm just as like I'm just as happy to believe that she flew away. Like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that she you know, she's she opens her magic box and it's empty and she's mad about that, but also while we don't get a callback there and and God bless Jaglum for not doing it, it would have been way too on the nose. But we do get reminded of earlier in the movie when the magician opened his hand. I think we might even get a visual reminder of that aspect of it, but we don't hear his words where he says, there's no such thing as nothing, right? Right. Uh, and a reminder that there's always something in that nothingness. Um, so the fact, you know, she opens it and it's nothing and she's mad at it for a minute and she says that thing about about lying. Um, I don't believe you, you're lying now. About it being empty, really. Right. Uh, and then... I'm perfectly happy with this idea that she flew away. Right. I mean, that she realized that she realized that the nothingness was something and that became her happy thought or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah. And then she missed the ground. Like how that's how it works. Right. And then she, she missed it. Well, you know, certainly, certainly Fred did not see her on the ground. We don't see any reaction right. as if she yeah, is on the ground. Right. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, 
I, I it's one of those movies where like there kind of doesn't have to be anything, right? It also can just yeah. The the you know what we visually see can be just be the thing that it is, right? Uh, which is like he doesn't see her, but like that's not he, there's no necessarily a reason why he should see her, right? Like right, uh, you know. Um, but like in the end, it is sort of indicative of some of the problems of this movie is the fact that like yeah, where we are forced into playing this very strange game at the end of this movie. <laughs> One thing I really do love about that uh, that television interview with him and, and Bagdanovich is that he's very aware of the fact that Last Picture Show is a movie where you can show a scene of it and have it make sense. Yes, yeah. He's, it, it, well, that's <laughs> kind of what I was talking about, though, earlier, is that like, yeah. his, he, is not, he is not being arrogant. But yeah. It does come. The whole thing comes off as arrogant because he is just so like can feel his own skin throughout that entire interview, in a very un- it's uncomfortable for comfortable for us as the audience to be there with him. Yeah, he's in, he he's he was in over his his depth making the movie, and now he's basically in over his depth in this interview about his movie. Uh, and he has a movie that right. th- does not play well on TV. Doesn't play well in film right. either, but like doesn't play well yeah. on TV. And unfortunately, he is—he's not a secret genius, right? I think a safe place is a smart movie. I think he did very well. Jaglum is not <laughs> some sort of not someone who has savant. accidentally, yeah. yeah, who has accidentally created something beyond his own understanding. Uh, he knows exactly what this is, and he's right about exactly what this is. He's just not very good at making <laughs> making right it. and 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 to a certain yeah. extent i think trying to he's smart enough to try to retroactively apply some stuff onto it that like to make it clear for his audience but that's not going to help because the yeah. movie doesn't read clearly so there's not much he can do about that at this point damn thing's already gone to print like it's literally being played at this film festival yeah so he did, you know, he goes on to direct uh, quite a few movies yeah, over the yeah. course of his life. Uh, this being a, a none not of a which success, I've seen. No, I, I, seems, I, yeah. I looked. I was like, okay. My first inclination was like, well, has this guy been in anything after this? Like, has he done anything after yeah. this? Because, you know, that happens. You know, one bad one right at the beginning could just can sink you. You know, it, it can happen. So I right. went and looked and I was like, well, he was in stuff, but I don't know what any of this stuff is. So yeah, take that for what you will. Apparently, he did a revival of A Safe Place as a stage play in 2003. I wonder who starred in it. Okay. I wonder if he figured some stuff out and made it, you know, he had a lot of time to think about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, that's a lot of time to go over your sort of mental notes about a thing. I hope he got better. Uh, (laughs) I don't know that he got better, and we'll never know if he got better. No, because I doubt we're ever going to encounter anything he made ever again. Absolutely not. Uh and this is this is not one of those times where I'm disappointed that we won't be seeing right, anything right, where you're more like, from oh, Jack Lump. Man, I want to see more Jack Lump. No, yeah. sorry, I'm good. I do, I do think everything that's interesting to me about this movie is done at least better by other people. Yeah, no, so, I agree with that. I, I it, it's yeah. yeah, that's definitely true. And and by better people that we've seen, it's just yeah. 
It's it's sad kind of in its own sort of way. It's like, well, it's too bad, man, but you know. Yeah. We can't they can't all be yeah. winners. And I think I think, you know, out of Easy Rider, five easy pieces, drive he said, a safe place is uh, <laughs> uh where are we gonna say here? Is the one film is the one film that actually feels like it's a critique of patriarchy. That, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, out of I'll, all the I'll, BBS I'll, movies I'll, we've seen I'll so far. I'll give you that. I, uh, with the addendum, and that, I, like, it's also the one that I had the hardest time watching. Yeah. I appreciate it for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Karen Black's character in Drive, he said, does does have more autonomy than many of the other women we meet in in the movies we've seen from bbs so far but yeah bbs uh, is not great on that front let's be very clear here. yeah yeah well you know counterculture at the time also not great, not on, great that front, on that period yes, that is true uh so unsurprising that the counterculture movies of the time would also not be great on right. that front. yes um but but here it it feels it, at least they're making an effort and jaglum is knows that he's making an effort uh, so is actively trying to make that effort, right. I guess yes, is yeah. what I mean to say. So since, since head, since head, this is, this is perhaps the BBS box set movie. I'm most likely to watch again. Oh, that's saying uh, something though, because like, yeah, but, but will you? No, no way. No, hell. probably not. But yeah, uh, that's mostly just, We've done nothing about nothing but complain about these movies. I have not really enjoyed any of them. If I'm being totally honest, I had high hopes for Easy Rider. It was fine. And Easy Rider has the visuals and the soundtrack to really connect with. Right. Uh, But even then, I was, frankly speaking, a little disappointed because, like, Easy Rider has been hyped to me essentially my entire life, right? Yeah. Your your problem with all these movies is your preternatural hatred for Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. That well deserved. That does not. That is true. Uh, and and you know he's better or worse in some of them, right? Uh, and and yeah. I will not argue that he's not a good actor. He just uh, I don't like him. I all I mean to say is that you're biased against these movies already, whereas I have you get pure, pure and fresh, yes, un- yeah, you're unin- uninhibited. Uh, <laughs> connection here and i also think they're bad movies so um, yeah i mean it's just like a thing I was at least thinking, not movies uh, they're not movies for me right uh, i recognize politically at the time they were important movies just the fact right, that anyone was making like this in a major imp- studio situation i feel like them being important movies at the time is such a damning statement about that yeah. time and the ideas of the time just being kind of at their at a very core level broken and not yeah. actually succ- like the fact good the fact that Columbia Pictures released a movie like A Safe Place is mind-blowing, period. Right. Like, uh, Head was more mind-blowing than Columbia right. Pictures. But to be but, fair, Head is, I mean, but, Head is yeah. wild in a very special way because Head is amazing, yeah. right? It just it just with, is. With Head, you can trick them and say it's a monkey's movie. Right, and, right, Okay, yes. we'll make one monkey's. They, which they successfully yeah. did. The rest of these, it's well, easy. Head made a ton of money. Well, easy I think Rider that's, made I a think ton that's of money. The deal, right? It's like they got. Yeah, we've actually encountered this before yeah. in in this podcast, where like, man, if you make a couple real like money, like, yeah. they'll just for a while at least keep letting you not right. make good movies right. that don't make money. Right. 
Yeah. Easy Riders made so much money, they had that contract for eight movies, is what we were told. Right. And that- And, and we also know that they did not- They did not make eight movies. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. They do not make eight movies, but they do not make- And, and the reason they do not make eight yeah. movies is because they do not make another good one. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, no. I have I have high hopes for the last picture show. Uh, I have yeah. trepidation about the King of Marvin Gardens. <laughs> because, right. Oh, my God. Because it's once again things. bad- Bob Rafelson directing oh, and man. Five Easy Pieces was not great. Uh, no, but, although I will say that like um, the King of Marvin Gardens, the premise didn't sound terrible uh, when right, we right, sort of right. like just heard the premise. But I, yeah. I'm I'm worried because uh, I'm I'm worried about both of them because yeah I I don't know like I just am at this point I I can't not be worried about these because like it's just been so wildly unsuccessful for me. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it. I think it's probably time for us to stop talking about this. I I uh, I I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done um, with this movie. Yeah. Again, um I did get some benefit in understanding of this movie by rewatching the first half hour again. So that's something. You know, there is there is something to the fact that the way we're consuming these films for this project is that by and large, we only ever watch the movie once before talking about it. Uh, yeah, and you know that's. I think that's part of part of our thing. Uh, it, so it ha- it kind I don't. Of has I don't regret doing it. It does also have to be part of our thing, just by the nature of the project. Uh, if we're ever going to have any hope of finishing this, or at least make um, a podcast that like releases more than once a month. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so there is that aspect, you know. A safe place, again, you know, it, we've said it multiple times, it just boils down to Jaglum. Jaglum was not prepared for uh, to make the movie he wanted to make. Uh, and what he has produced here is fine and is better than the last three movies we've watched. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, it's, not, it's not even necessarily what he wanted it to be. Right. Uh, it's what he wanted to be in the hands he w- he had to make it. Sure, uh, I wish it was in different hands. Right, uh, but but yeah. Other than that, you know, nice to see Phil Proctor pop up. Tuesday Welch fantastic in this. Always glad to see Orson Welles, even right. if yeah. he is playing a weirdo, <laughs> playing a weirdo who just shouldn't shouldn't just, be here. Just but an amazing whatever. weirdo. Just an absolutely amazing <laughs> yeah. weirdo. Just. Just you know the sort of the sort of weirdo that only exists because, wait, you know Orson Welles? I could get Orson Welles in my movie, right? I can't, just, I can't give him any notes, but I'm gonna get him in my Orson movie. Welles, Orson Welles doing sleight of hand, like that's you know it's essentially F for fake, right? Right, it's right. Just Orson Welles showing up and talking a lot while doing magic tricks, it's, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, all the time, one hundred percent. Give it We're to always give me board, more. Yes. Of it. We're always on board for that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah uh, so we'll pull this one to a close next week we continue this BBS box set with uh, the last picture show Peter Bogdanovich uh, also 1971 uh, again cautiously looking forward to that as which I think is what I said about this one too <laughs> so um, yeah no this is uh, definitely well we we pinned a lot of our hopes on Orson Welles and did we he did. deliver we on did. his part yes 
Yes. Did the movie? Not really. <laughs> Not so much. The movie really just but couldn't keep up with d- him is the issue. Right. <laughs> uh, I also, I will say definitively, because you just said it like that, 100% do not want a version of this movie with more Orson Welles. No. Uh, that no, would have been bad. Clear. That would have been much yeah. worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine, like, yeah, I just I just love the idea of this guy. Like, I can't get over that interview where he's like, yeah, yeah, he took lots of notes and he was, like, really helpful and got along with him great. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It, is, it is very clear from that bonus feature that Orson Welles was having a good time on set. I'm sure. He's very good But he natured. was having a good time doing 25 different accents. Yes. yes. I'm not yes. saying that he's a bad person. I'm saying that like there's no way in hell this guy was getting exactly what he wanted out of Orson Welles other than maybe yeah. just letting Orson Welles have fun on your can- on your film time right. and then editing whatever what, you can out of it. No. If if someone like Henry Jaglum uh I have to imagine he is self-aware enough to know exactly what I want out of Orson Welles is Orson Welles is in my movie. Exactly. Beyond that Orson Welles can do whatever he wants. But that also means that you you have a very defined amount of Orson Welles that you can put in your movie. Right. Because you're going to have right. to edit around Orson Welles just having fun in your movie. Yeah. Orson Welles, go stand in the park and... And, and do weird magic Say tricks. these things like, that we say. cool, man. Yeah. And then later we'll walk across the park and we'll go to the zoo. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. That's really, really a good thing to learn from this movie is that Central Park is its own six different locations if you want it right, to Right, yeah. You really so. don't need to get any other ones. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty much good yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Cartier. I'm, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, Sean Patrick Oyatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next week for Last Picture Show. Bye. Bye. has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>